Hello, welcome to the Gentle Rebel podcast, where we talk about navigating life's harsher edges with a spirit of compassionate creativity. I'm Andy Morton, a songwriter and creativity coach, and I love to explore the power that gentleness can have in changing our world from the inside out. In this episode, we're going to look at the problem of introversion, in particular, exploring answers to the question, how can I stop being so introverted? Um, I was asked this question for the first time a few years ago, a number of years ago, in fact. Um, I've been asked it many times since. Um, and I, I wrote a post in response to it, which was it has kind of become one of the most visited, visited articles on my website um, over the past sort of six or seven years, I suppose. Um, and before you launch at me with a tirade of abuse, I will say <laughs> that I want to honour the intent of this question. I want to explore ways to embrace, to enjoy and to work in partnership with our introversion. This is not a, um, a, a an episode that's going to tell you how to stop being introverted. Um, I basically wanted to create this episode as a deeper dive into that blog post um, that's been, it's, it's been receiving this consistent level of traffic since I wrote it uh, in early 2016. And it started life as this uh, tongue-in-cheek piece called How to Stop Being Introverted, The Definitive Guide, uh, in which I shared what I thought was quite clearly <laughs> kind of an ironic or sarcastic um, set of advice about doing things that introverted people find draining, basically things that uh, introverts would find um, very um, n- like completely not conducive to their uh, natural ways of being, their natural temperaments, their natural personalities and and the aim was to make the point that introversion rather than being something that can can be overcome or it's this problem to solve or it's this thing to stop is simply like the 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 tracks along which we run uh the the kind of basic inner mechanics of our temperaments and i was aware that uh, a lot of people were, were seeing introversion as a problem to solve in their life there was a lot of people searching for this like how do i stop being so introverted so I thought I'd, you know, see if I could kind of divert attention from away from blog posts that were written by people who who didn't have this understanding of what it actually means to be introverted. There were there's a lot of resources out there that um, from from people who who kind of hold this idea of what it means to be an introvert in a completely um, wrong way, essentially. And so I wanted to kind of just, yeah, nestle in there and give searches maybe a little bit more of a life affirming an accepting answer to this question of how do I stop being introverted or how do I stop being so introverted? And um, yeah, while this this post still gets a lot of traffic, I wanted to update it with a, a slightly, I, I guess, clearer message or simpler message um, because it turns out that <laughs> people, well, many, many people seem to only have time to read headlines, but they have a lot of time to write abusive emails and I think life feels too short for me to keep telling people to go back and read something properly to say, yeah, I think you've maybe missed the point. The thing that you're arguing is exactly the point of the article. Um, but and it turns out even when you do that, people get defensive. They double down on their attack for some reason. So I, I thought I'd do this as a, as a podcast instead. There's something about sort of, you know, getting into people's ears and, and speaking um, that makes it a little bit more human and a little bit easier to to understand intent maybe um so as my aim with the original piece was to help those looking to solve the problem of introversion 
Um, and to, to help them do that in finding ways to move in sync with their introversion, with their natural rhythms instead of resenting them. I want to do the same with this episode. So if you're listening to this, looking to be less introverted, then I hope you find some validation for who you are um, at that kind of core level. And if you're someone who's been exploring this stuff for years, then I hope it's just a, a nice gentle reminder that we get to enjoy those kind of weird and wonderful aspects of who we are when we work with rather than against those tracks along which we run. It's easy for me to say, well, just embrace your introversion. It's who you are. I know it's not that simple. In fact, it's really annoying to have that kind of advice, isn't it? It's a, it's a bit like someone telling us, like, yeah, sleep and exercise. They're, they're these, like, miraculous answers. They're really good for you. Um, you should get loads of both. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's, not, it's not even that we need to be told how to do those things. There are millions of kind of, yeah, bits of advice and gurus out there who, who are solving these problems in different ways and can help us with that. You know, we can easily get that advice. We can easily find the the kind of people telling us how to do these things better. But that's not what we're actually necessarily in need of. This is not going to be a how-to guide on embracing introversion either. Sorry, if you're looking for one or if you think you need one, uh, you, you probably don't anyway. Uh, we often default to a thirst for knowledge when we're kind of looking at things like this. We think we need more information. We need a blueprint or a model to follow when actually... What we need at, at its kind of core, at its simplest level, is validation that it's okay to feel how we feel, to be who we are, um, and to, to kind of engage with the world in the way that feels most natural. And also permission to play. You know, there are no right ways to be an introvert. Introvert is not who we are. It has no essential bearing on... Uh, our, our actual personality, our tastes, the things we enjoy, the things we loathe and all of that kind of stuff. It's simply a description of our uh, yeah, inner system, how we're orientated to the world in terms of our relationship with energy. We generally recharge by going inwards, which might require a bit more downtime without stimulation, time spent alone. Processing generally happens internally within Whereas for extroverted people, they find downtime more draining as they recharge through stimulation, external stimulation, socialising, rich sensory experience, that kind of stuff. And so the permission to play is an invitation to discover the stuff that energises us, energises you personally as an individual. Knowing what it means to be an introvert in a basic sense gives us that platform to start having some fun to start experimenting and playing and, and growing our own rules for life around this stuff. If we don't feel this acceptance, this permission, this validation to be who we are, then we might feel alienated from ourselves. We might feel alienated from the world around us, like we don't quite fit, like everyone else is in on something and we missed the meeting. So there are good reasons why we might wish we weren't so introverted especially when we compare ourselves with the person that maybe we feel encouraged to be by the world around us or the, that we feel pressured to be that we feel like we need to be in order to fit in our natural preferences don't always fit with the values of a of a noisy overstimulating extrovert centric society and as social beings we we kind of like to feel a sense of belonging in that so of course if we identify what feels like deficiencies in our own temperament in our own understanding of ourselves then we're going to want to change that it might feel like we don't belong like there's something wrong with us and of course 
like you're going to want to or wish that was different. So we're going to complete, we're going to start this from a, a place of complete acceptance of that question. You know, if you've been asking it, I completely accept this question. How do I stop being so introverted? And I want to use this episode as an opportunity just to sort of maybe look at that from a few different angles. Have you ever looked at others and envied how comfortable they are interacting with an overwhelming world? They appear kind of unfazed by the madness that you see around you. They know what they're doing, where they want to go, what they need to do to get there. It's as if they don't need to give it a second thought before just jumping into highly stimulating experiences. Laurie Helgo says that this is very common for introverts, an idea that she articulates really, really nicely in Introvert Power, why your inner life is your hidden strength. And she describes two kinds of responses introverts might have to an extrovert-centric world. Uh, There's shadow-dwelling introverts who appear, if they can be seen, as reclusive and inaccessible or alien. And there's accessible introverts who do not come across as remote or intimidating because they've almost adapted to the extrovert culture. And now the potential problem that we might face through these kind of ways of adapting to a noisy world or an overstimulating world or a world that doesn't fit our kind of introverted tendencies is that they can create alienation. We might become alienated from the world around us as the shadow dweller, or we might alienate ourselves from core parts of who we are deep down as the accessible introvert. Life gets exhausting when we feel like we have to spend it hiding. We might not be aware of what we're doing. We might not know that that is what we're doing, but we are getting exhausted by hiding. Um, And this might be a a huge contributor to uh, a a kind of growing sense of overwhelm, burnout, just this exhaustion that can follow us around. There's nothing wrong with being reclusive, of course, if it gives us the platform to flourish. But if we're hiding and harboring resentment about the world we wish we could be a part of, then that's not kind of contributing to our flourishing. It's uh, a hiding place. It's somewhere we retreat to um, in order to avoid something that we deep down would like to be part of. Likewise, many people see themselves as social introverts. They love spending energy on other people and experiences, but they need plenty of downtime to prepare and recover. If we look at them in those social situations, we might assume they're extroverted or, as we'll talk about shortly, a pseudo Uh, extrovert but if we spend all our energy pretending to fit in to be something that we know we're not then it's not helping us flourish if we're hiding those core parts of who we are if we don't fully accept or understand what it means to be introverted we can find ourselves in this state of limbo in a place where we might feel it necessary to make that choice to disappear or to play along and that means that we hold back massive parts of of who we are of our dreams of our hopes of our just the the things that make us us this is where we might choose instead to explore introversion as something that we can use it's information it's data it's awareness and rather than looking at the idea of being an introvert as an all-encompassing identity we can look at its impact on particular things in our lives how does it help us to grow certain things where is it maybe creating an obstacle right now what might we do to uh, approach things in a way that works with that rather than against it especially those things we might like to change when we 
better understand our inner workings, we can adapt our approach, our expectations and the definitions that we have around things to fit the situation rather than writing everything off under this banner of uh, a prescriptive identity label. You know, whether it's saying, well, I, I can't possibly do that because I'm an introvert or, well, that's all right for you as an extrovert, but I'm not wired to cope in the way that you are. The awareness that we grow from learning about ourselves helps us to figure out ways to make things work for us rather than believing we have to approach things in certain ways, you know, the ways that everybody else does or the the kind of generally accepted approaches to things. We can ask, OK, what could I do differently about it as I approach this? What could I change in this so that it feels good for me, so that it's sustainable for me? And we're going to explore in a bit how knowing what our personal meaningful projects are gives us a point of of focus to use uh, when it comes to making real change happen in and around our lives. So rather than focusing on the big picture where everything just feels like this, this overwhelming thing, we grow our confidence one piece at a time, moment by moment, project by project. And in this sense, there are a couple of aspects to what we're really looking at in this episode i suppose there's firstly self-acceptance you know acknowledging accepting and embracing who we are at that core level of temperament and then secondly the plasticity of our temperament and the fact that we are all unique in our tastes our desires our goals in life and when things are important to us we can make small agreements to temporarily override maybe those natural energy preferences that we have and we can act out of character Uh, which is what we're going to get into very shortly. But first, let's think about the story that we tell ourselves that can make us wish we were less introverted. Our world is driven by perception and the appearance of things in many ways, in many situations. We tell ourselves and one another stories about how things are, which are then supported and propped up by belief in those stories. An example of the fundamental myths that we're encouraged to believe in this sense is this idea that who we are is not enough. Where we are is not enough. And other people are enjoying the things that we don't have. Obviously, there's so much in our systems and the structures around, you know, just the basic market capitalist society and our model of kind of perpetual economic growth that essentially requires us to live in a state of perpetual dissatisfaction with our lives and for every problem that we might solve there is a new one waiting for us to invest or spend our money on these stories feel real they are so believable and they are driven on the one hand by this sense that we are not enough but on the other hand that we can be enough but uh, that you know that there is this this destination of Uh, of satisfaction of wholeness of completeness and the fantasy has to be sustained in order that we don't really encounter that truth which is however much it looks like they are nobody else is whole and complete nobody is at this kind of magical destination that doesn't exist the place of lasting satisfaction cannot be reached because it isn't real. We will never feel like we fit in. We will never feel like we're clever or beautiful or happy or rich or fit enough. There is always more. There is always someone who is further on, or at least our perception is, that they are where we need to get to in order to feel that sense of happiness, completeness, satisfaction. And even the most apparently successful people that we can imagine They suffer like crazy when they're caught in this so-called ideology of promise, as Helen Rollins described it when I spoke to her 
um, uh, about a year or so ago as I'm recording this, part of self-acceptance is about accepting the lack at the heart of everything. It's about holding our understanding of life in this place where we recognize there is nothing we can do or buy that will fill this hole, this sense that there is something missing. Why do I mention this in an episode uh, about, you know, introversion and stopping being introverted? I think part of accepting and learning to enjoy our temperament is actually about letting go of this idea that other people have everything together. That there is this this perfect way of being or that if only we were less introverted or more extroverted or whatever it might be, then things would be okay. We would feel better about ourselves. We Everything would be great. We need to start by letting go of these stories that we tell ourselves about other people that we look at in and around our lives, the people we see as whole and complete. It might look like that from the outside, but there is a whole lot of wholeness, H-O-L-E, a whole lot of human inside each of them. You know, speak to pretty much anybody on their own. And eventually, if you speak to them long enough, you're going to reach a messy core. You're going to hear insecurities and struggles and wishes for difference and fears of the future, regrets about the past and all that kind of stuff. We are all fundamentally messy and that's not something to fix. It's something to accept and even where possible to enjoy. Um, And I think it's very possible to enjoy that stuff. I think that's what makes us uh, human is what make is what brings meaning to life it's where we love one another and all of that stuff and one of my big bugbears i think with a lot of self-help stuff and even some kind of forms of uh, or approaches to therapy is that these these things set out to fix the mess they allow us to believe that the mess the mess we feel aka life <laughs> is not necessarily normal or it shouldn't be what we feel or we can get to somewhere else we can get to a place beyond it Um, but real self-help is about moving into the mess allowing it not as a means to overcome it but as a means to live inside of it understanding that as we sort out one messy aspect of life other ones are going to emerge other ones are going to reveal themselves and there are enough of them for a lifetime of work some people might hear this and think damn Andy what a downer Come on. (laughs) Um, Hopefully, though, it feels more uplifting. I want it to be encouraging and validating and reassuring. I also want to say that happiness is little more than an occasional passing highlight on the mundane canvas of everyday life. You know, it's another word we've become obsessed with over the years, as if it can be achieved in in this kind of holistic, all-encompassing, perpetual sense. And so any moment that we spend unhappy, is a moment where we failed. But by definition, we can't remain in a state of happiness for longer than the moments we experience it. It's a very superficial approach to emotion, which prohibits the full spectrum of human experience, like with what might be described as toxic positivity, where so-called negative words and attitudes, you know, we, we prohibit it. We say, no, don't use those words. That's the, their band around here. They just come back in different ways and with more power. We end up becoming more miserable when we focus on this idea that we've got to be happy all the time. We end up more kind of negative when we think we've got to be positive all the time. So let's accept the ordinary unhappiness that makes up, you know, life. Take the pressure off ourselves to feel a particular way and allow things to be as they are within us, around us, in other people. 
And from here, we might start to build a more useful uh, self-concept, a more useful uh, way of holding our uh, temperaments as well and enjoy what it means to be one of seven and a half or however many there are of us now, billion people trying to make sense of this, this weird and mysterious thing we call life. When we say we want to stop being introverted, we're usually referring to a particular aspect of our personality in relation to something uh, that maybe matters to us or we want to do or, or we're struggling with or whatever. For example, you know, I've helped people take action on their dream of performing uh, music or doing um, public speaking on stage. And in one example of this, um, it required changing part of a script that this person was telling themselves, you know, you can't perform because you're an introvert and you get too nervous. And when we tell ourselves stories like this, we reduce our potential by attaching what we believe is possible or not to something we can't change. And we, we attach this, this thing that really matters to us. You know, by doing this, we tell ourselves we can't do what we would love to do. And what's the reason for that? Well, because we're an introvert. But what if I told you that your introvert, introversion doesn't stop you from doing anything? It just informs the way you might need to approach doing it. In the example of performance, we removed the word introvert from the script and looked at possible ways to manage and even use the nerves um, that, that, that they felt in the kind of run up around this idea, this concept of performing on stage. And after talking to other people who had similar pre-performance feelings, this particular person realized that our nerves are not an introvert thing. They're kind of universal, uh, especially when you're getting on stage for the first time in your life and you're kind of everybody's looking at you and you're performing in some sort of way. Um, and at some level we might be looking for little stories like this because actually they just give us a nice ready-made excuse for, for not doing the thing we want to do. Um, and as absurd as it sounds, we often, um, we, we, we like the, it's, it's kind of those inner emotions like fear that wants to keep us safe. And so this excuse helps us remain safe. It's easier to wish we could do something only to be restricted by a force beyond our control. Um, and I don't think we do this necessarily consciously or, or deliberately, but our those underlying safety mechanisms like to find reasons not to take risks or to figure out how to do something out of the ordinary. They're just like, oh, just get your head down and kind of just go about life in in your normal way. So... Yeah, what story are you telling yourself about your temperament? Maybe whether it's your introversion or your sensitivity or whatever. How might changing the script shift your relationship with your temperament? We need to be really clear with ourselves and others about what it means to, to be an introvert, what this word actually means. There's a lot of clutter surrounding this. Um, and as our awareness and acceptance of it has grown uh, kind of in mainstream popularity over the years so too have has a load of rubbish basically a load of myths around it still confused with uh, shyness and social anxiety i mean the dictionary definitions are, are a bit confusing as well um, there's people who conflate it with being afraid of people <laughs> uh, of being scared to speak up in public and all these things and while these are some, true for some introverts, they are true also for some extroverts and they are not a product of the innate temperament as we understand introversion to be. 
Um, in the original article, that tongue-in-cheek thing that I put together, I shared some ideas that people could try if they really wanted to rip apart their relationship with who they are, essentially, with their introversion. Um, and, you know, I put things like spend time with people when you're feeling low on energy, increase sources of external stimulation, uh, rush into making big decisions, find someone to talk to about everything you're thinking, uh, fill your calendar with social engagements and share your opinion before you've considered it. Um, and at its core, introversion and extroversion, they are about how we create and budget our energy as human beings. Introverts typically turn inwards when they need to recharge and process things. Extroverts require external stimulation, you know, other people, crowds, invigorating experiences uh, in, in creating the energy that they need. And they often process things allowed so they will find somebody to bounce ideas off or you know do their thinking in an externalizing way um, and I think it's worth keeping it that simple you know not adding any unnecessary clutter and baggage and that way we make it we make much more room to be empowered to act how we want to act in light of that and to move things move towards things that we want to make happen mindful of how our energy flows and what we will need to do maybe to prepare and to recover as we spend our energy on the things that matter to us. Professor Brian Little says or writes in Me, Myself and Us, even though I'm a classic introvert, when I give a lecture for my students, I perform with great passion. Introverts, when they are on, become pseudo extroverts. Can you tell the difference between a born extrovert and a pseudo extrovert? Usually you cannot. Um, so I just said cannot in a very strange way. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is where we get into some interesting territory when it comes to this question of how do I stop being so introverted? Because it opens us up to the possibility that actually we can act out of character. So Brian Little suggests that we have this ability to act out of character when something is important to us, when there's a personal project that's meaningful. Um, and this this phrase acting out of character i guess can be interpreted in a couple of ways so it's acting in a way that doesn't fit a fixed trait view of who we are so doing something that might be unexpected not typically introverted or viewed as unusual for us by other people or it's acting contrary to our natural disposition for the sake of something deeper than our own immediate comfort so acting out of character character being moral strength acting from that place of of our character from that that pool of who we are which is a kind of expansive and an absorbent thing that allows us to choose to behave in ways that might not be the kind of default or usual ways that we act and so when you think of someone acting out of character what sort of connotations does it have for you it's often seen as a negative thing isn't it it's like like somebody is not quite of right mind or they're doing something that may even be a cause for concern you know it wasn't very it was very out of character for them to to do that but the way that we um, are thinking about it here is this point of freedom where we're in full control of the choices we make about how we uh, want to choose to show up and approach things like with professor little's lecturing example performs with great passion i mean if you see his ted talk for example you witness him behave with great charisma and in very gregarious ways to some degree full of energy and enthusiasm performing what he's decided to be 
as the lecturer version of himself. It's hugely inspiring and engaging in the way that he communicates the things that matter to him. Um, the way that he gets those points across to people that he really cares about getting those points across to. It's an out-of-character performance because it's not where he lands at his natural original position. You know, it's, it's costing him energy. He says what you don't see is him, you know, hiding in a bathroom stall before and after the lecture, trying to get the energy back, trying to prepare, trying to get into the zone. Um, he's as far from people as he can get. He needs to recharge the batteries. He needs to, to take that time on his own to go inwards and to do that that way. He's fully himself when he's on stage, but he's a version of himself that is essentially unsustainable to maintain indefinitely. And this is a really interesting thing to consider and a really interesting point of freedom that we can allow to to kind of speak into our lives. We're not limited to one level or way of operating. Life is more like a a symphony where we get to conduct the different instruments that play the different parts. There are kind of high energy moments where we do that performance thing. We put that kind of big charismatic version of ourselves into whatever place it is. And then there are softly played low energy periods. And each augments the other. Each supports the other, providing platforms for the different dynamics that we want to bring to our lives to stand on and grow from. It's all one piece. It's all one orchestra, but it might sound completely different at different moments whenever we tune into it. And so Brian Little says that when it comes to thinking about our personality, we often have a tendency to discuss it without context. We might say, I don't like parties. I hate crowds or I can't stand the phone. Yet in reality, rather than using those preferences to ensure our own future happiness, we will still go to a party, stand in a crowd and make a phone call when the situation requires it, or at least we can. This is such an important thing to point out. We might not like something. We might prefer not to go there or to use it or to do it or whatever. But we can when the situation requires it, when it's worth it when it's compelling, when it's valuable for the sake of a relationship, a goal, a core value, a deep belief, we can find a way to do what is needed. The five big personality traits, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness and neuroticism are not completely fixed, according to Brian Little. He describes them as making up an arpeggio rather than a chord. And as an introvert, I may enter a free trade agreement, for example, to arrange a party for someone I care about, to go and be part of a crowd when I really want to watch a live performance, or to call a friend who really needs some support right now. When we become invested in stuff that matters, we become able to temporarily put on hold our natural desire, our natural uh, preferences, maybe to sit at home with a book and we do something less comfortable instead. The other side of a Free trade agreement is what Little describes as a restorative niche. Now, these are uniquely personal things that we do uh, or places we go or, or whatever to recharge after spending our energy. They restore our spirit and recharge our, our sense of self. They're not just things we do after the experience. It might also be something we do ahead of time. You know, these can act a bit like incentives and preparation things the the thing that you can focus on knowing it is coming 
when things feel tiring. It's the inhale after the exhale, the pause after the loud outburst. It's the drive home after a gig. It's a morning without anything planned the next day. You know, I've got through many live gigs on the promise of those kinds of restorative niches. I didn't know that's what I was doing for many years, but Brian Little put words to this experience, to this arrangement. The reason I can spend myself on something that requires so much energy, the compelling personal project, the thing that's worth spending energy on, is balanced by this restorative niche, the way that I recover afterwards, the way that I restore my energy, my soul, my spirit. We might feel like we want to escape our introversion because we aren't aware of this idea of what our restorative niches are, of what possibilities we can place into these this kind of way of uh, of approaching the things that that kind of matter to us that are highly um, draining it's a vital part of the rhythm that allows us to invest our time and energy into things that matter to us if we don't have them we have a very real risk of overwhelm and burnout these restorative niches are part of the agreements that we enter into Brian Little suggests that there's give and take when we are in free trade agreements with others. He says, with spouses and bosses, we can strike a bargain. I'll act out of character to advance our joint project if you will grant me a restorative niche. What we need is a free trade agreement. So it requires us to communicate with those other parties, those people in, with, with whom we are kind of invested in these joint projects these bridges as I like to think of them, partnerships. And when we do that, we should begin to have a much more enriching and rewarding quality of life. I feel like we can't necessarily talk about introversion without mentioning personality tests. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of them now. Um, And, you know, I'd say who doesn't love a personality test? Okay, maybe not everybody. (laughs) I know some people really hate them, um, or at least they say they do. Maybe you don't want to appear to, to like them, but whatever you think of them in principle, there, there, there is something enjoyable about seeing things about yourself reflected back in a description of your particular type and being like, oh, yeah, that's, that is me. That, that describes me in this situation or whatever it is. And the same kind of weird connection you might get. You know, when you see your name on a key ring in a souvenir shop or something like that, you're like, oh, I feel seen. Um, I have... Uh, uh, I've like personally got mixed feelings about personality tests. Um, you know, if we can refrain from using them to diagnose personalities, um, I I think they can be really, really useful tools. So things like, um, I think Brian Little uses examples of like, I'm a hothead or I fear intimacy or I'm a dreamer. We kind of use these all on, all encompassing diagnoses or uh, kind of identity markers to say this is this is who I am, and actually they are just things that kind of ebb and flow through our lives. I often use um, a DISC personality profile uh, when I begin a new coaching partnership, and the reason I I do that is because it just provides some really good information to explore together. Um, kind of there's a, a we there's a really comprehensive report that you get when you do this online um, and you can sort of just go through okay what's speaking to you what what do you recognize uh, about yourself in these descriptions what maybe doesn't fit Um, and then this allows me to adapt my own approach to suit 
their natural communication styles, their personal preferences for for how we approach things. Um, and it also it just gives us a chance to sort of talk about who they are and how they see themselves and that kind of stuff. And and that's really, uh, really beneficial and really useful, not as something that is kind of a, a really prescriptive um, kind of sense of identity, like this is this is me. Um, but just as something that informs um, our partnership and their their own view of themselves within the context of other people as well, and understanding that there's differences between people. I think we often encounter resistance when we don't understand that actually we are all different. We all, we do all have different preferences, different, slightly different ways of seeing things. And personality profiles again remind us that we see and we experience and we're orientated to the world differently to other people other people experience things differently they see things through a different lens and not only is this a potential path to hold the world with more empathy but also to encounter ourselves in a new way to know everyone is a bit weird it's not just us everybody's weird um when we acknowledge this truth and become more aware of our subconscious preferences we're kind of better equipped to work with ourselves in service of those um, compelling personal projects, those personal values and our, and our goals. Michael Puet, the author of The Path, A New Way to Think About Everything, uh, says too many of us wake up one day feeling stuck inside a narrow definition of ourselves. Um, and so he is talking about the, the <laughs> one of the problems with personality tests. And you know, when I first realized I was an introvert, I first read The Introvert Advantage by Marty, uh, Marty Olson Laney. Um, I, I noticed that I, I had this weird way of categorizing the world. I had this new kind of binary view where I could divide my picture of the world into introverts and extroverts. And I was kind of seeing everyone through these this particular lens, expecting, OK, introverts behave this way, extroverts behave that way. Um, and the danger, again, with personality typing is that we look for a prescription rather than um, description of our preferences. It can quickly become an identity rather than a tool for understanding. And, you know, in this capitalist market system, identities are essentially uh, markets that we can open up. You know, if we can make people believe they are something, they become a lot easier to sell things to. Um, and I find this really troubling when it comes to personality types because it creates division and a really limited um, kind of set of self-concepts, really, and a limited way of holding one another. We become we cut ourselves off from one another, believing that there, there are walls around us as opposed to um, using these things as um, uh, as connections between us, ways to understand one another better. Um, and I totally understand the draw towards this kind of thing, but it can also make us feel even more alienated especially when we um, inevitably start to see the difference between us and the the real inside of the community we are supposed to belong to you know the real the true introverts or the the real infjs or the entps or whatever it might be and we um we feel like we're not good enough at being that thing we feel like yeah we're not we're not a pure version of that thing and you know, that's the case for everybody. Again, nobody truly fits. And when we allow our labels to drive our behavior, we, we live out a self-fulfilling prophecy. Who we are reflects how we think we should act. And we end up putting ourselves in boxes that are only a tiny part of this overall picture of what it means to be us, what it means to be human. 
we prevent other people as well from being themselves. We judge them by their ability to fit the box that they've put themselves in or that we've put them into. We force people to conform to type. And that leaves us all acting through a script that doesn't represent our our genuine, different, unique preferences, our desires, our needs. And we end up just replacing one inside for another. The inside that we definitely don't belong to, we create another inside that we end up realising, oh, I don't belong to that either, because <laughs> we, we don't belong to any pure inside. I'm much more drawn to the idea of pulling back the curtain on all of that stuff and using these things as tools, not identities, and to do that on the backdrop of this truth that no one fits in. No one belongs on the inside. An inside is a place created from a fear that we don't belong, and all it does is create somewhere we are afraid of not belonging to, which we don't belong to because no one does. But we end up kind of suffocating those things, creating these dogmatic rules around identities and end up just alienating other people and alienating ourselves. I found a blog post in which I talked about a conversation that I had years ago with someone. I don't actually remember this conversation now, um, so I'm taking my own previous word for it. Um, But it was a conversation with someone who'd recently learned that they were an introvert and and kind of had a label for it and and understood, okay, this is who I am in the the context of this description. Um, And apparently I was talking about how much of a relief it was to realise, you know, when I found out, when I first read the introvert advantage it was like ah oh, yeah i'm not as weird and different as i thought i was and this person reacted um quite snappily apparently saying oh i never thought i was weird it's everyone else who's got the problem it's just confirmed it um so I, and on the one hand good for them it's great to witness someone with a with a strong sense of who they are and inner confidence but on the other hand i'm not sure it was confidence <laughs> they they were using their introversion as a source of um, this kind of tribalism, this this identity, rather than a uh, a tool necessarily for personal growth in different ways. This was evident apparently when they continued. Um, they say I'm too quiet and they can't hear me, but I'm peaceful and calm. Just because they're not used to it, that shouldn't mean I have to change. They need to get over themselves. Um, and so this was making me think, I was really trying. I wish I remembered having this conversation because it sounds fascinating. Um, but it, yeah, it made me uh, think this, is this difference between an insult and a criticism. Um, an insult where, you know, it's it's personal, but a criticism contains something that we might be able to use and learn from. Um, and this, it may be sometimes a vague line between an insult and a criticism, um, but we it's, we must be careful not to take everything as a personal insult. Um, and I was just, I was kind of reflecting on, on that whole idea of potentially you're turning a criticism into an insult when you say, I'm not going to change. Like they're, they say I'm too quiet and that they can't hear me. Maybe there, there's something in that that we need to sort of heed. Um, if they can't hear us, it's no good us saying, no, you're the one with the problem. I'm just calm. So, okay, either we need a tool like a microphone or I I don't even know what the context of this was. Um, But maybe we need to mitigate and bring a tool in so that people can hear you or maybe you need to sort of just adapt something slightly so that they can. Um, 
because as introverts we can adapt our natural preferences if the situation requires it if it's worth it perhaps we need to speak louder perhaps we need to you know get some technology in place so that we can help people engage with whatever it is that they're struggling to engage with as we are carrying out our thing as we're approaching things right now um maybe a particular role requires a different sort of performance from us like professor littles um you know uh, lecturer role but i think yeah the, the one thing i just w- want everybody to take away from this is that um there are you, you know your introversion is part of who you are it's the foundation of your natural rhythm it can help you approach your hopes and your dreams in sustainable ways but ultimately it's, it's these tracks along which we run but that's not a that's not a story that can't have that can be augmented by these these the plasticity and the elasticity of personality the things that we can adapt to and um kind of grow and work on in ourselves if if the situation demands it if the thing is worth it to us and so in this sense introversion is not something to overcome it's not something to to stop but it's something to to really understand to become aware of to work with i say if you feel alone in how you see and experience the world um, then i'd love to invite you to join the haven which is a virtual village for uh, naturally introverted and sensitive and creative gently rebellious people like you Um, if you're listening to this feeling this um, connecting with other people who are like ourselves is a great step in in learning and growing in self-acceptance and working in sync with those natural rhythms and preferences that hold the key to our quiet flourishing Um, and it kind of gives us somewhere safe and affirming to to kind of look at who we are and what you know what is it that is meaningful to us what matters to us right now that maybe we're struggling to find a way to um, adapt to or or to approach um just the haven is welcoming to everyone it acknowledges that we are all very different that we are all weird in our own ways and we're all kind of interested in exploring how to, as I said earlier, <laughs> muddle along together as one of the uh, seven, eight billion people trying to make sense of this weird and mysterious thing called life. You can learn more at the-haven.co. Um, and yeah, come and, come and try it out. Come and say hello. It'd be really good to see you in there. Um, and yeah, I hope you found this helpful in some way. If you've got any thoughts on it, I'd love to hear from you. Just get in touch via the contact form. Uh, on the website andymort.com or find the show notes for this episode there um, and leave a comment all right that'll do us and until next time remember that gentleness is always an option even when it feels like it's not you can always find it hiding in the gaps take care bye-bye